0: the better golf podcast powered by win daily sports where betters go to bet better here are your hosts Tee off sports and sticks picks
1: what is up everyone and welcome back to the better golf podcast i am your host spencer aguiar and i'm joined here by my partner in crime nick brettwish if you're new to the show nick and i dive deep into these betting boards delivering our best plays throughout in all markets Nick has a model that he uses to find value. I have a model where I do the same, and we try to leave no stone unturned when breaking down everything in front of us. Nick, how are you doing, my man?
0: I'm doing well. Hideki, outright season. And then the uh, Hammer Gift Kid came back. I had to sit out the uh, Kapalua tournament because I just wasn't ready uh, to let him loose. But yeah, Keegan Bradley, top 40 Hammer Kid Gift or Hammer Gift Kid, whatever we call him, remains Damn near undefeated. I think he's like 19 and two, but I'll go check my uh, one day when I'm bored. I'll just go through Twitter to check his actual record, but it's pretty damn good. So I'm excited. It was a plus 4.4 unit week for me overall. Kind of got housed in the top 40 market, um, but the Hideki outright helped a ton. And Keegan Bradley, Cohen overweight there, helped a lot as well.
1: Yeah, the, the week resulted in a plus 1.795 units of profit for me. Uh, that moves me to 6.945 on the season for a 22.09% ROI. Uh, the internment head-to-head remained on fire 4-1-2 and 2 last week for 3.32, 9-2-2 on the season. Uh, the placement markets were solid, plus 1.37 units up there. Michael Thompson, plus 200. Nick's hammered kid play of Keegan Bradley, plus 160. Uh, Stuart Sink got across the finish line as a small dog, as well as Charles Howell as a slight favorite. But it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows for me on my end. Seamus Power stole some of the pot of gold for three units himself and all the individual head-to-heads I had against him. In retrospect, I think the plays were a little forced. For anyone that follows me closely, you know that I prefer taking on opponents and not so much playing options I like. I probably made a slight blunder there of using two guys I wanted exposure to and Billy Horschel and Siwoo Kim. The math was fine in both of those spots, but... I wasn't low enough on Sheamus to find myself multiple units up for grabs against him. I think Horschel over him would have been sufficient. I didn't need to drop a second unit in that fashion, as well as a third unit with an in-tournament loss that I had on Sunday. Uh, You always want a little more out of the tournament when you dominate in a particular sector of the market. But all in all, profit is profit. And, you know, when you hit Hideki Matsuyama – I want you to get into a little bit of your mindset of why you ended up taking Hideki. I know we talked about him last week on the show. I didn't end up coming up with a ticket on him. I had him priced proper at 22 to one, but uh, you know, hitting outrights are very difficult. And when we look at what I've done with it, like I hit 10 last year by being on the right side of every close call or decision, that's a wild number, no matter how you want to look at it, but. You need a little bit of luck at the end of the day, but uh, you also need to put yourself in the position to hit them. So talk a little bit more about the Hideki play before we move forward.
0: Honestly, it was kind of a a late addition for me. I looked at my outright card and really all I had were mid to long shots. So I had Abraham answer, Keegan Bradley, Billy Horschel, Siwoo Kim, and I was contemplating Sanjay M on the show. And basically I just, I just like when I talk to you in the off season, you have a lot more exposure to outrights than I do. And I think that's what I needed to improve on this year is getting more outright tickets, not like more. I don't want to bet the whole board or bet 10 guys. I want to be right around six or seven golfers, I think or five to seven depending on the card. And, and that was just like, to me, when I was looking at it, he was my top ranked guy that I know like my odds were proper or or at least I had value on him. I had him rank 15 to one. And I think the ticket that I punched was 19 to one. So just a little bit of value there is the only guy like towards the top of my rankings that I actually had value on for the outright market. So I went there. And then also when I saw DFS ownership when I saw he was like four percent owned, I was like, all right, there's there's something I really need to look at. And it was just more of all, how much I valued off the tee. And Hideki was, you know, marvelous at that. And then the putter just got hot. So on a birdie fest, he's close to home too. you know, it's Hawaii. So I don't know if that actually went into my mindset there, but it was mainly just trying to get some exposure to a top end golfer. Because again, Abraham answer struggling in Kapalua. I, you know, I'm excited to talk about him again this week. Keegan Bradley, Billy Horschel, Siwu Kim. Like they really didn't have a whole lot of outright, you know, upside in my opinion it was more just like me chasing those long prices, but Yeah, that that was pretty much it for Hideki and another, you know, like, I guess what you taught me is when you have a bad week in the top 40s and potentially matchups, how we are fading Seamus Power, all it takes is one outright to have a great week. And that's what Hideki did without him. It was pretty much just Keegan Bradley and Stewart Sink that would have kept me afloat. And shout out to you for the Stewart Sink play because that was great. I went overweight on him in DFS. But the Downside of, like, I'm still heartbroken because I had damn near the nuts in DFS. I had 40% exposure to Hideki Matsuyama when he was like 4 to 8% depending on the tournament. And I had 50% Russell Henley. So I went extremely overweight on the guys that finished 1-2. Uh, I had a ton of sink. I had a ton of Connors. Who else did I have that was solid um, to, to oh, Chris Kirk? We were both very high on him. So I like had a ton of great plays and I had so many lineups with just extreme upside, except I went 30% Chan Kim who was 1% owned. I just went extremely overweight and dude, he was striking the ball so well. I just could not make any pots. I still believe in the guy. He absolutely pounds a driver. Um, and then who else? I went extremely overweight on Billy Horschel. He at least made the cut and gave my lineup some hope, but, I went so, so hard on Abraham answer. I think I had 60% exposure. So like when I play MME, that's 150 lineups in DFS. Sorry, we're getting on the DFS rant here. But like I play extremely vertical. I'm either gonna have an excellent week or a bad week. I'm not there to min cash or anything like that. I get that I'm you know, some week most weeks I'm pissing away money on 150 lineups, but I've been so damn close to winning the millionaire maker in golf. I think I finished uh top ten twice now and then top twenty like five times and had the overnight lead on a Saturday. That was pretty fun, but um, so that's kind of just how I'm playing I'm playing to win a tournament so I get very overweight on low- owned guys that my model happens to like and that all the metrics and sportsbooks seem to like as well just so it kind of checks all those boxes but yeah uh Chan Kim I think Chan Kim hurt more um in DFS and betting than you know I appreciated the Hideki win but what a shot for Hideki in that playoff hole the two hop and stop a three wood fade was just beautiful so it, it was really exciting I hope that answer helped but um, it was mainly just me tipping my cap to you, like to help me get, you know, realize I need a little bit more exposure to the outright market because it can save a bad week. And it sure did last week.
1: I, I think that's the one thing that um, when you look at people in this space in general, you have some users that become a little too overweight in the outright market. You have other people that are not branching out far enough with it. It's a complete picture at the end of the day with it. There's so many different sectors you know, add the in-tournament head-to-head wagers, add things like that. There's there's tons of different markets. I mean, you can bet the miscuts or made cuts of people. Not that we necessarily go down that route on this show, but there are so many different avenues to try to build out your card for. And, and I think a lot of people get too stuck in the mindset of 100% of their exposure is in the outright market or a very limited uh, exposure percentage is in the outright market. And I'm probably more aggressive than most good bettors when it comes to outright betting, I, I definitely think that it, it's a thing that I've run hot in for the last you know four years with it. And I know it's going to cool down at some point. And we've even seen it the first two weeks of the season. I had top five potential on both Cameron Smith and Hideki. I didn't end up with an outright ticket on either one of them. But the one thing that you mentioned about Hideki that I really like, and it's what I mentioned on the show last week with it, is when you look at that corollary, or when you try to find some deviations in numbers, you would be in, you would be incredibly surprised how often a guy grades higher for you than consensus. And when you look at like a Hideki Matsuyama, and this is more of a DraftKings answer, but he's five to eight percent owned, even though your model likes him, and I think a lot of models like Hideki, but he wasn't as high as a guy like Webb Simpson, and everybody decides to roll with Webb Simpson at thirty percent. And you're sitting there with Hideki, who's fifth in my model. I mean, Webb Simpson was number one. Like, that's the same problem I had with it. But at fifth overall with it, you still have a guy with immense upside that nobody wants to play. And I think we see a lot of those same factors coming into play this week when we look at the board. All the ownership is getting to the same spots. And and I think you have these random spots to where you are going to have guys that you can get overweight on. And I think just to touch on it really quickly for one last point on this DFS thing, the way that Nick described of how he plays DFS, that's the way that everybody should be thinking about uh, GPP tournaments. You don't want to be the rake in the tournament. You don't want to go in week in and week out. You min cash sometimes, you lose sometimes, and you just have this you know steady trajectory that's downwards on it. You want to have these weeks to where when you spike, you spike as high as you possibly can with it, and you have these big winning weeks. I think anytime you look at these really good GPP players, they go down, they go down, they go down. And then when they hit, they go so far up that it, you know, you you win a million dollars or you kind of pay for the rest of the year with it. So uh, that is my biggest piece of advice. I would say just be more aggressive in GPPs. If you're going to play them, I think that you need to get away from some of the consensus plays with it, but do you have anything else that you want to add before we move forward?
0: No, not really. I think that was just a, a great point that you just made. I mean, I, I don't know if that's that risk appetite for everybody in DFS, but like if it's a, if you're mass multi-entering, I think you certainly need to have that mindset unless you're just playing for bankroll management, then you probably shouldn't be mass multi-entering anyway. But yeah, that's uh that is my thoughts. I don't know if I had a whole lot in the bad department for last week that I really wanted to talk about. I guess Abe answer or Abe or whatever, whatever his last name is. I always play the guy. What's going on with him? I I just, I can't understand. I obviously he's in bad form, but right now I'm looking at DFS ownership while we're doing the show. And he is fourth in ownership. Is everybody just assuming a bounce back and like my model likes him again, but is it time to fade if everybody's getting on him? I, I don't really understand. Like clearly he's in bad form. So what are your thoughts on April quick?
1: I, uh- I mean, when I look at Abe at the 18% ownership, I don't really have any interest in taking him on at at that number. I think the $9,000 range is going to be something that I'm going to be lighter on this week in general. And uh, a lot of it just comes down to the course history when we look at it. He's been fifth, second, 18th in his last three tries here. I think there's hope that he's going to turn it around. He might, but at 18%, I don't really have any interest on that with him.
0: For sure. Okay. All right. Uh, that was my one question. Cause that's going to lead me to my top five. So I'll be fading that, but yeah, well, let's go. What's uh what do we got in the card this week? And what's the course look like?
1: Well, perfect. Let's move into the American express. Then Uh, this is a tough tournament to talk about. Uh, we've probably had as many name changes over the past five years as we will have courses this week. If that answer was one, that would have been fine, but it's unfortunately three courses in play. These rotational events are always a nightmare in all markets we can get into what all of this means from a statistical perspective in a second but let me at least describe the setup before we try to break this down golfers will rotate between the PGA West Stadium course, Nicholas Tournament course and La Quinta between Thursday to Saturday that means that the cut won't take place until all players have played 54 holes and the remaining top 65 and ties will head back to the stadium course to finish things up on Sunday that wouldn't necessarily be all bad if we had stat tracker throughout but the fact that the stadium, course, is the only venue with that available adds to the headache of what we have in front of us. We are not going to be able to find anything statistically on two of the three um, for the first you know, three days of this tournament. And then when you hit those dead spots, that's where the problem becomes there. That makes in-tournament betting a struggle. It creates issues with modeling at all stages when we can't even get an accurate assessment of 50% of the rounds or what has gone into those 50% of rounds historically. It's just hard. That's what this comes down to. It's just a very hard tournament to try to assess. Past five winners, Siwoo Kim at 23 under, Andrew Landry 26 under, Adam Long 26 under, John Rom 22 under, and Hudson Swafford 20 under. Let's try to see if we can figure out this week, what did you notice about the tournament in general? Is there anything that you're using from a statistical standpoint that stands out? Uh, I know we both made models trying to figure out an answer. So let me know what you came up with.
0: Yeah, really, for me, I just I didn't overlook or I didn't want to look into this too much because the whole three course thing is just really hard to handicap. And like you said, it's it's going to be really tough for sports books to price this out. They're probably just going to have a lot of extra vig to kind of make up exactly. for the, the uncertainty there. But I just kind of looked at strokes gained uh, for past winners and pop past like top 20 finisher so approach for me is very very important this week i do like birdie or better percentage obviously this is likely to be another birdie fest um didn't go super heavy into off the tee but iron proximity from 150 to 200 something that i liked a lot again that kind of plays into approach uh bermuda prodding and uh, what else did i have a uh, good bunker play those are pretty much like the only things that i really looked at and i'm not going to reinvent the wheel on this tournament or get extra crazy with my card. It'll probably be a lot more conservative week for me overall.
1: Uh, just to touch. I don't know if it changes your model whatsoever with it, but just to touch on the Bermuda aspect of it, it appears as if uh, all the Bermuda is dormant this week. So we are probably looking at a POA overseeded texture.
0: Well, that makes sense. Okay.
1: Good call. Um, <laughs> that's just something worth throwing out there for anybody listening. I, I don't, from what I've heard about the surface, It's not quite like POA that you expect with it. It's a really clean, like almost carpet-like putting surface. So I think anybody can putt well on them. But uh, to answer my own question, and I'll do it into multiple parts here, the first thing is that if we are only going to put together an extremely basic model because we can't figure out what to do, and that would be mostly your generic strokes gain categories, like if you just want to do strokes gain total and look at it that way and mix and match it that way. You know, something that would be at 100% of venues that you could use. That's probably when we shouldn't be playing this week. That's the epitome of either degeneracy because you need action or a failed outcome of piecing together something usable. And I'm fine with that. Like, you don't need to play. That second part is honestly fine. If you can't figure out a tangible solution, this would be the week to take off. Uh, but I don't necessarily work under that mindset. If we are struggling to piece things together, I'm a believer the sports books are having a more challenging time themselves. Now the problem with that is, and Nick just touched on it. We don't have to look any further than a very credible sports book holding 153% of the whole percentage this week. Uh, that's how they get around. Not knowing what to do is they make a disastrous board for everyone to bet into while also placing Roman Cantley at virtually untouchable prices. <laughs> And and all of that's the real problem we have to face. It's hard to overcome a market that's going to hold that high of a percentage. Certain players will still drift in odds. It's not completely unbettable for that reason. We just need to pick and choose our spots. But let me talk about the thought process that went into my model a little and these courses in general. So the first thing that stuck out to me was that it appears as if the Bermuda is dormant on all three. I just touched on that, the overseeding with it. I don't know if that's something that I would necessarily look at. But it is a tangible thing that you can at least throw into a model uh, and look at if you can find some of the overseated Poa textures for it. I would say one of the reasons why I didn't do it is because it isn't quite the same situation, but it falls under a lot of what held me back on Hideki last week. I don't want to be influenced on an easy course because of the greens. Uh, With that being said, there are going to be similarities that we can spot throughout that I did find pertinent enough to use. All three courses are under 7,200 yards. That places them inside the 15 shortest on tour. All three grade inside the bottom 15 in difficulty. That's just another way of saying they're extremely simple. To me, that is more of the rollover statistics that we can use, easily measure that we want to be looking at for this stop. That is something that's not only quantifiable, but also set in stone. If we do branch it out a little more at the stadium course, since that is where the stats can be found for 50% of the rounds that will take place. I like a weighted driving category because playing out of the fairways consistently yields one of the highest birdie or better totals we see all year. The accuracy gives you the better proximity numbers. The distance clears the hazards that might present an issue. And while scoring has produced an average total of 24 under for the winners over the past 10 years, the extensive bunkering will cause some problems if you, can, if you can't clear them with distance, sorry. All of that is the blueprint I used when building my model this week. I started with 25% on total driving. I'm not going to reiterate that thought. That's what I was just explaining there. We have seen guys like Answer find success here in the past, but I still believe distance over accuracy is the way to go. I split that 65-35 in favor of distance over accuracy. I did 10% on GIR percentage out of fairway bunkers. If we know that's where the issues might arise outside of the water coming into play on nine holes, I thought it was worth a small add. Their top five of that model gave us Charles Howell, Jason Day, Adam Shank, Nick Taylor, and Matthew Niesmith. It's always becomes a little worrisome when you're making a model, and those are the names shooting to the top of any category. But you'll see with the way I ran this, it produced the exact top five in the exact order of the betting board. I did 20% on par five better percentage. Golfers will get 16 chances to score on those holes. And it's been the most indicative category to finding success of anything we get this week. Weighted par three for 10%. I condense it to par three average and bogey avoidance. You could get deeper with it and include proximity ranges, but I decided to bypass both. I, I think the way that Nick did it is fine also. And maybe this is the incorrect mindset that I'm going with with it. But some of that almost burdened my model when I looked at it that way. You know, putting and proximity aren't exactly the two most predictive stats. That's my mindset with it. This is an easy course where guys are going to be making birdie with it. I didn't want to have a guy that's a bad putter or a bad proximity player to get immediately excluded from my model. I did strokes gain total at courses under 7,200 yards that produce easy scoring. A category like that is exactly what I'm talking about when trying to mimic these tracks. And then I wrapped it up with strokes gain total on Pete Dye for 10%. That only applies to the stadium course, but once again, that is where 50% of the rounds will take place. That model yielded a top five of John Rahm, Patrick Cantley, Scotty Scheffler, Sung Jay Im, and Tony Finel If we stretch it out a little further, and maybe this is just me wanting to create a shameless mention, but Siwoo Kim was sixth, Taylor Gooch, seventh, Abraham Answer, eighth, Jason Day, ninth, and Charles Howell, the third, tenth. For as wild of a model as that was, it did produce a ton of structure in most spots that we might expect. That provides me more optimism that the outside of the box plays may have more credence to them since I didn't produce something that had a random top five that made no logical sense. But what did your model look like from a top five perspective?
0: Top five, no surprise here. John Rahm, Patrick Cantley, number three was uh, pretty interesting. It was actually Matthew Wolf, Wow. Yeah, that was interesting. So uh, Tony Finau, fourth, uh, Patrick Reed fifth, and I'll give honorable mention to someone that I'm excited to talk about a little bit later or get your opinions on number six was will Z will uh, I, no, no Scotty Scheffler in my top six though.
1: I'm kind of getting a little bit worried with Scotty Scheffler. The more ways I run this model. Um, he is a guy that I have never one time. I, I don't think in two years gotten him correct. If my model likes him, he does poorly. If my model doesn't like him, he does well. Uh, I'm starting to become a little hesitant of how much exposure I want to have with him. I love the ownership percentage for DraftKings. I probably won't have any exposure to him in the betting market, but if you could, I would love to hear your reasoning behind Matthew Wolf. I'm sure we'll have more stuff to discuss with him later on in the show, but uh, that is a very high number to have of a guy that is not one of the projected favorites.
0: Yeah, I just- I think it's it's the lights out iron play as of late. His approach is ranks all. I mean, literally right next to John Rom for like my weighted approach numbers that I pulled. The putter could get very hot. He's top 20 in my weighted putting. And then off the tee was actually surprisingly solid. So other than it's just how heavy I weighted. Uh, approach and sand saves and matt wolf showed up there it was not someone i was looking to, to bet on i do have an outright ticket on him that we'll talk about in a bit but yeah matt wolf showed up quite high and i'm not going to question it. i'm just going to run with it
1: i don't have a problem just for the record on it on the matthew wolf play i mean it's higher than what i have him but uh he graded very well for me in total driving a lot of that is the distance that he's going to have i yep. think that's going to help top seven in this field in par five birdie or better percentage And we've seen it historically with Wolf. You give him these easy courses, he goes lights out on them. So I think Wolf is an intriguing guy for for DraftKings. I think right now we're looking at about 11%. I think that's one way in the 9,000s you can get contrarian with it. But uh, I guess let's flip the script here. Uh, Those are some of the guys we like. Let's move into some of the potential fades. Um, Actually, before we do that, let's backtrack for one second. I know Wolf is going to be one of those guys that is going to be there for you. But I do want to talk about some players that may have graded higher in your model than public consensus with it. So for me, it would be Wu Kim, Jason Day, Jonathan Vegas, and the two Corn Fairy guys in Taylor Moore and Hayden Buckley. Uh, I saw some smaller differences in Justin Rose and Gary Woodland, but uh, outside of Matthew Wolf, who are a couple other guys that your model seemed to be higher on?
0: Uh, Justin Rose is one of them. So always love to play him. Um, Ricky Fowler showed up kind of high. I'd say even with bad approach, like I don't know. I love to play Ricky Fowler when around the green is something that's very important, but Model likes Ricky Fowler, so I'm gonna run with that. And uh Harold Varner cracked my top ten.
1: I, I think Ricky Fowler is another guy. I think when you look at these eight thousand dollar golfers, Justin Rose, Ricky Fowler. If we move up into the nine thousands, Matthew Wolf. There's a lot of contrarian routes to take this week of guys that have about as much win equity as the Corey Connors is and Seamus Powers of the world. And I'm going to stop talking badly about Seamus power because that hasn't worked, but uh, just come on the show and we can get rid of all of that.
0: Yeah. We'll break the bread, but real quick. I mean, with Matt Wolf's ownership right around 11%, like you said, that is significantly less than Russell Henley at nine K Abraham answer at 9.2 K in bad form and Corey counters at 9.4 K. I think Matthew Wolf has more win equity than all of them.
1: I would agree with you on that. And, and I would go a step further and say, if you're looking for a second contrarian play, it's probably Will Zalatoris, as you mentioned. With it, I think yep. Wolf and Zalatoris are the two intriguing ones. I do happen to really like Taylor Gooch this week.
0: Oh, God. we're gonna be a, we're gonna have a good show in a bit then.
1: Well, I, I, like, that's, here's my thought. I, I
0: like Gooch. I like him. I just think the price is ridiculous on DraftKings, but I got an outright on him too. He was very high in my model. He's eleventh, right after Barner.
1: Yeah, he's seventh for me, and, and maybe an outright ticket is the way to play. it. Like Gooch's, you'll see my card. It's just a bunch of long shots, but. Gooch is the one player that I wanted to get to that. I just couldn't get myself on with it. I think, I don't know what number you got with it, but anything around 30 to one would be perfectly fine in my books. If you do decide to punch a ticket, but you know, good course history. is just a guy that I find very intriguing this week, but let's move into the fades of the week. I do want to mention that every goal for $8,000 or above on DraftKings graded inside of the top 30 for me in my model. There are multiple options. I will fade on DraftKings for the reasons that Nick and I have been talking about, whether that be ownership percentage, maybe my math being a little lower, but my idea of a true fade is going to come more towards the bottom of the board in a potential head-to-head matchup. I'm going to rattle off a handful of guys that were grossly overpriced by my math. It doesn't mean I necessarily will find the correct pairing against them, but they are at least on the short list of golfers I'm looking to take on in California. Troy Merritt. Ches Reeve and Jason Duffner were the three biggest negative outliers I had. I wouldn't mind seeing what is out there against Rory Sabatini, Luke Donald. We talked a little bit off air. I know you like Wesley Bryan this week, but he's another guy that I might be looking to take on. But, um, you know, this is something a lot of these head-to-head markets aren't out yet. You can find the specifics inside of my Rotoball article that I do. Uh, you can also look at my model to get a general idea of where I am at every single week with a lot of these players. But I guess before anything thoughts on Merritt, reevee or Duffner, Uh, Were you high on any of them? And where are you going with your fades this week?
0: No, all all three of those guys, I'm on board with fading for sure. Um, I did have one fade in the 8K range. I have not found a matchup for him yet, but Christian Bazaidenhout does not grade that well for me at all. Very short off the tee. He's erratic off the tee. I just don't see him hitting a lot of fairways. And if he does, he's going to be a long ways away. And I, I don't love his long iron play either. So I just, I know he's a great golfer, just as solid as they come. But do you have any thoughts on Christian Bez?
1: A lot of these European golfers cause my models, my model to have a fit with it. Now, <laughs> my model never likes Bezaydenhout. He is the second lowest player for me, uh, $8,000 or above. The only one that would be worse than him would be Cameron Tringali at 8900 He would be, I guess, technically my biggest fate if I was going to try to find one. I don't like 12.5% on DraftKings. I think that's very chalky win you can move down the Justin Rose, you can move down the Ricky Fowler. A guy like Alex Noren if you want to go more towards that European route. I mean, I'm seeing 3 to 5% with him. I think Noren has just as much upside as Visadeen Health and, and is going to be coming in at, you know, a fourth 25% of the ownership there and um I also like see Wu Kim just from a pure upside standpoint with it. So, for me probably no on Visadeen Health. I'm not going to have any exposure to him. I always worry about fading him in a head-to-head matchup because he seems to do better than my model thinks he's going to do, but um, I'll have zero exposure on DraftKings of him.
0: Yeah, that's about all I had.
1: Well, let's move into the placement market then this week. I don't have a ton to discuss. We can rotate these back and forth until one of us runs out of additional selections. That's going to be me this week. I will be sure to add anything I might see throughout this week on Twitter But let me start us off this time because I have held my tongue as long as I could without turning this show into the Jason Day tribute hour.
0: You knew it was coming. Everybody had to know it was coming.
1: This is the week. Jason Day top 40, plus 160 on DraftKings. That is plus 120 on FanDuel. I am going to pull from some numbers I saw posted on Twitter by at PGA Splits. The time frame is longer than I would care for when looking at day, but I will wrap it back up with a more condensed version that came that I came up with also. But Dave ranks third in this field since 2018 when starting off the year in January and fourth at courses on the West Coast. Uh, he's also number one, just to throw that out there, at short, easy courses over the last two years. That sample size does include a version that might be remotely better than what we have gotten recently. But a lot of the core of what I want to see is still there, even over the past 50 rounds. Day ranks ninth in my model overall sixth on short, easy courses over the last 50 rounds. Think of all those pro-ams like Pebble Beach, where he has been good in the past. And he also looks healthy in a lot of the videos I have seen of him recently. It remains to be seen if it will transfer over to a tour event, Uh, but this wager goes one of two ways. And I'm fine with either option with it. I mean, I'm not fine if he's hurt. I want him to be okay. But as far as this bet is concerned, I'm fine with either way with it. One is he's hurt, which means we likely lose the bet. Um, albeit it's a fair price. I think that that's the most important thing. Or two, things have turned around and he takes off early in the season, meaning those numbers are wildly off across the board. I'm fine with taking chances on him at plus 160. There's obvious risk involved, but it's similar to what we said about Keegan Bradley last week. The world knows he can't putt and randomly explodes, so his odds drift higher than they should be. It's no different here with Day, who the market has written off for dead. So, Nick, I don't even need to ask you because I know you love this Jason Day selection and likely are considering how much is too much to get down on this wager. I can almost see the hammer kid trying to bash into your safe to get all the funds out to go all in. But if you can be impartial in this spot, thoughts on Jason Day plus 160 this week?
0: Yeah, no, I I. He just does not grade out that well for me. I just the iron play that of all the data, even in your model, like it's gotta be really bad for his iron bad. play, but he still grades out ninth for you overall. So that blows my mind. But what you said about the price is probably never going to be there if he's healthy. Like we, we gotta buy the stock low right now is how I think of it. So I'm 100% in on that. It's a guy that I would you know if healthy. I don't know if we'll see that anytime soon, but he'd be you know minus 150 to make a top 40 in an event like this. So yeah, to get plus 160, I think either buy in or you just fast forward the podcast to where we never talk about Jason Day. But it's likely going to happen every week knowing Spencer. So I'm fine with it. But yeah, the price is just too good. So for the for the upside there, you know don't empty your wallet on it i don't think he will be the hammer gift kid play of the week but no it's it's fine i like it at plus 160
1: all i heard from that answer was hammer kid so hammer kid jason day this week (laughs) but uh, i we should probably conclude this show there i mean how can you top a jason day ticket but what do you have for us first in the top 40 market
0: I like Harold Varner a ton. DraftKings has him at plus 110. I had him priced right around plus 105, plus 110 both times I ran it. FanDuel's got plus 175, so 65 points of value over at FanDuel. Just a guy that, you know, a great total driver. Mid, the long irons are very good for him. Excellent approach player. Good putter. Good, Really good on Pete Dye courses. I don't know how much I valued that this week, but I like Harold Varner a ton at plus 175.
1: Yeah, really good out of fairway bunkers also. He's 17th in this field in, in that category. So. He's
0: probably the hammer gift kid. I'm just going to say it now.
1: I, I like him. I don't and have Jason any...
0: Day. Parlay him.
1: <laughs> that sounds good to me. Anytime you include Jason Day into a wager, I'm in. The only thing with Varner that he's going to need to do better at par five scoring, 91st in my model. If that number can increase and we get a week, like even if I just move him, like let's say he has a top 20 week. Uh, in that category, he jumps all the way up into the top 20 of my models. So um, that's going to be the, the thing for Varner this week. If the par five scoring is there, I think he can make a run. Uh, but my second play of the week will be Taylor Moore, top 40, plus 150 on FanDuel. That's plus 100 on DraftKings. I'm trying to be cautious with how much I play the Corn Fairy Kids until some of these stats neutralize. But Taylor Moore is my favorite of the group for the American Express. I do want to note that I hand regressed multiple categories from him, so I didn't get anything higher than I did in value, but Moore looks like one of the best total drivers and ball strikers in this field. He ranks inside the top 25 when it comes to par five birdie or better percentage. I think this price would have been better at plus 125, and I like taking a shot on his recent form. Uh, What do you think about Moore and what do you like after that?
0: He was 19th in my model. So I think yours was pretty close too. So yeah, I, the corn fairy guys. Yeah, the oh, Gorn,
1: 17th, sorry, 17th. From yeah, me.
0: even higher. The corn fairy guys kind of give me a headache similar to the Euros give your model a headache. But no, I, I everything you see from him right now is awesome. So yeah, I'm, I'm in. And it's such a short price. To, so it's like, in my opinion, like books like him a lot too. So I prefer to see the short prices. So yeah, I could sign off on that. Absolutely.
1: I've seen him on some of the credible offshore books move from- I mean, I saw him as high as 150 to one to win this tournament to start the week. He seems to be down to that 80 to 100 to one zone. So I think there's credible money coming in on him. And uh, unfortunately, we'll get to the outright market in the second, but I wasn't able to find that 150 to one number. I think books knew what might be coming and, and priced him in a range that was a little bit more difficult for me to get to. But <laughs> I like more. I think there's a lot of ways you can play him. I think he's playable on DraftKings, as you said. It's a little scary with the Corn Fairy guys, but he's the one that I trust the most. But uh, who do you like for a second?
0: Uh, It's kind of my version of Jason Day. Gary Woodland. I have him priced at minus 110, minus 115 was the lowest I got for the top 40 market. DraftKings has plus 130. Just an excellent, excellent ball striker kind of all over the place, I guess, in terms of just his overall game. But a guy that I think has more upside than Jason Day. Sorry to say it, Um, but he's healthy. That's an
1: incorrect take. (laughs) Uh,
0: But yeah, it's just that's like my guy. I always look for like I don't know. Maybe it's just name brand value. And then I go down to see like who's got a long price on him in the top 40 market. And Gary Woodland sticks out like a, a sore thumb. He's very high on my model as well. So it's someone that I just kind of, he popped out to me and I looked at his metrics overall. I know there's not a whole lot to go on because they just haven't played golf. Um, as recent, you know, like when we get a month into the season, I think I will really like my numbers then. And that's when I think I started to heat up last year, but just seems like too high of a price for a guy that I think is one of the best golfers in the world.
1: I have a feeling that this Gary Woodland selection is going to be exactly what took place last week with Keegan Bradley, where, where I jumped on board with him. I, uh, I,
0: is he the hammer gift kid? Would you rather have him than uh, Harold Varner?
1: I like Gary Woodland a lot. I, I considered it so heavily. Like he is the first one that missed my card in pretty much every regard of how I, I did it, whether that be a placement market or an outright bet. And I'm sure you're going to end up talking me into an outright bet on him before this is all said and done. But The only concern I have, and it's the same exact thing though. I just want to preface that as the Jason day thing. We have not seen him since the Houston open. Like this is the first time that these guys are going to be out there. Gary Woodland could have figured everything out. And we know he's a major championship winner. If he turns it around, Gary Woodland is a 20 to one golfer in this field with it. So uh, our goal is to try to find value and be ahead of the market with it. And The one thing I love about Woodland and with Day in the situation, and even Justin Rose, like those three guys in particular, their two-year model, because I'm running a two-year rolling model with this. It's really a year, I guess, of, of where we're at right now with it. But these guys are so much better than public perception. And that's even with the two-year stats that I'm running with it. So we know Gary Woodland hasn't been good. He's 24th in my model. There were ways I could run it where he was higher with it. But I don't know what outright number you got on him, but I've seen some crazy numbers out there. So I'm going to circle back around on the top 40 on Woodland. I probably will end up tailing you on that play and you'll probably talk me into an outright on him. But I only have one more play worth mentioning this week, or at least that I found worth mentioning. Uh, I will let you after this wrap it up with the rest of your card that you have because I know it's a little bit deeper than mine but JT Poston to come top 20 on Bovada that is going to be ties paying in full that is plus 950 if you don't have access to that he is plus 320 on FanDuel to come top 40 that would work also I'm going to have some on both of those but it's going to be nothing more than I mean, I don't want to call it a dart throw. My model actually likes him, but it's going to be a very small unit wager that I'm going to take a shot on. Poston's come inside the top 40 in three of his five attempts at this event. Part of that stems from his par five scoring where he ranks 27th in this field, but I like his boomer bust nature. It plays well in markets like this where a missed cut is the same as a 60th and he quietly showed some life last week at the Sony making his first cut in nine events. I wouldn't be shocked to see him continue that upward trend at these courses that he's found to have an affinity for in the past. Uh, But that is going to be it for me this week. Uh, I will let you take us home with everything you have left. As I mentioned at the beginning, I will let some of these markets play out a little before entering into them uh, past the ones that I mentioned. We don't see much movement take place on these top 40s at books like DraftKings and FanDuel. I like to continue to run numbers on Tuesday night and Wednesday morning when some of those options are, are close for me. I'll run some on Woodland tonight and see what it ha- ends up happening with that. But uh, wrap us up, Nick. What What's the rest of your card look like?
0: All right. I got Adam Shank and Lanto Griffin uh, as my next top 40 plays. Both guys, very good approach, good bunker players, putting at long irons. That's kind of everything that I was looking for this week and solid off the tee and relatively long. So Adam Shank was plus 240 on DraftKings or plus 240 on FanDuel. I'm sorry, plus 200 on DraftKings. So FanDuel is the price for Shank. Uh, Lanto Griffin is plus 175 on FanDuel. I like that play a lot. And then my favorite play of the week, I think, in terms of top 40 and likely to have good exposure in DFS pending his ownership is Carlos Ortiz. I had Carlos Ortiz priced at minus 125. DraftKings has even money and FanDuel's got plus 125. Just a great... Ball striker overall, ranked 57th in the world, and I also sprinkled a little bit on the top 20 at plus 310. So that is Adam Shank, Lanto Griffin, and Carlos Ortiz to round out my Varner and Gary Woodland exposure. Wesley Bryan is going to be honorable mention at plus 440 on FanDuel. Just, I don't know, the guy's got a hot putter right now and is an excellent ball striker. Very short off the tee, though. I think that could hurt him here. Uh, Brendan Steele was a guy I had honorable mention. Chris Kirk, I think a guy that we always bet and seems to be in really good form. And then Davis Riley was one of the uh, the no-name guys that my model seemed to like a lot on DraftKings at plus 230. Didn't punch the tickets yet, but those were my honorable mentions.
1: I'm afraid you might be talking me into a Davis Riley and Carlos Ortiz ticket also, because those were, outside of Woodland, those were the next two guys that, I went back and forth on a million times. Carlos Ortiz is 14th in my model this week. Davis Riley is 38th for me. Uh, where did you have those two guys?
0: Davis Riley. Um, do, 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 I have who we're looking for. Car- Carlos Ortiz at 21st and Davis Riley 33rd. So that was intriguing.
1: Yeah. So you're, you're a little bit higher on Davis Riley within five spots there. I'm a little bit higher on Carlos Ortiz, seven spots there, but uh, yeah, I mean, for Carlos Ortiz, 11th in par five scoring, he's eighth in total driving with the way I ran my numbers. Uh, 19th at easy courses. The thing I liked about Davis Riley. And once again, it's a little bit of condensed numbers. And that's the only hesitancy that I have with this wager is that I'm really trying to avoid these corn fairy guys. And Nick said it best, These numbers will become much more sound as the year goes on. And the, the information leads means a little bit more with it right now. We have such limited data on so many players, like a guy like Davis Riley. I don't have enough rounds in my book to necessarily trust what I'm getting with him, but from what I do have, I mean, he's a golfer that looks like he has upside. I do know that he has taken in some sharp action in the betting market this week. So, um, I, those are two that are on my shortlist. I don't really know what to do with them. The only other one I will add, and I'm not just doing this for the last of the show. I generally would be curious to hear your answer here. What are your thoughts on Dylan Fratelli this week? Rex Yep. Out. He's 52nd in my model. Um, I'll wrap this up quickly. The thing I like about Fratelli is any single time distance comes into play, he's 16th in this field there. Uh, that's a big weapon for him that he can use. We know that he's a boomer bust target. I, I kind of like him on DraftKings for that reason. If you're gonna take a random shot in the dark, I think if I'm gonna play him, I'd probably play him a little higher up in the market because I think he either misses the cut or, you know, potentially gets a top 20 or 30 out of this. But uh that would be it for me. I I mean, is there anybody else you want to talk about?
0: um hayden buckley what are your thoughts on him this dude grades out incredibly for me and played his ass off last weekend so i do like him but again we're kind of really getting into these corn fairy guys but hayden buckley seems to be the real deal
1: add hayden buckley to the list it's buckley it's ramey it's more it's a little bit of davis riley probably as a fourth option there those are the four guys that i like every single weekend and buckley continues to do nothing but impress on my model problem is give him you know a bad start or two bad starts in a row, those numbers are going to go in reverse and all of a sudden he could look like a different player, but yeah, he's 20th overall for me. Um, Buckley on that. And then more is 17th, as I said. So, uh, I think Buckley maybe is a better Bermuda putter. I don't know that this surface necessarily is an advantage to anybody, but, um, I don't have a problem with the Buckley play. I think that it makes logical sense.
0: Sweet. All right. That's all I had.
1: All right. Let's close this show in style in the outright market. I didn't have a ton that I considered this week. I wasn't a huge fan of playing heavily into a market that the pricing looks good. Plus, I kind of think Rom is going to win and ruin this event. There's no reason to aggressively attack a slate when that is the case. The most realistic option that I considered sub 50 to one would have been Taylor Gooch. I'm not going to talk anyone out of playing him, um, but I'm just going to save some bullets. There are so many moving parts once this tournament starts that you might be able to catch a book sleeping. I also, as I mentioned, think that Nick might be able to talk me into Gary Woodland at some point before this show is done. But I did go back down the Siwoo Kim train at 60-1. to 1. The results haven't exactly been what we were hoping to see through his first two events in the year, but he has been par better in both starts. That is nothing to write home about when we're talking about birdie shootouts but we saw some flashes with his irons in Hawaii. I like his upside when he gets any number of rounds at a Pete Dye track. These kind of courses have always been where he randomly pops for a win evident by him winning here last year. And he ranks inside the top 10 in this field for strokes gain total on easy courses. I did Taylor more at a hundred to one. As I mentioned earlier in the show, I've seen this as high as 150 to one. Um, this just feels like the perfect spot for the 28 year old to stamp his arrival on the PGA tour. I I will have that top 40 exposure to him. You know, that is going to be the bread and butter of what I need to come in. Anything better than that, we will take If you can get an outright ticket. Jason Day, 130 to one. I've said this a few times this week on multiple platforms. I kind of even mentioned it when doing the top 40 breakdown for day, but the end game of what we are trying to find is value. Nothing else matters but that. This is a really poor example I'm about to give, but if you told me something was a thousand to one to occur, but you gave me 10,000 to one odds on it where I could just keep betting it endlessly for the rest of time. I would quit everything that I do and just invest every waking hour on punching this ticket over and over again. And part of this is assuming that your math is right, which can never fully be answered, but the numbers show it to be worth the risk. I have gotten so many messages over the last 24 hours from half the space telling me that day is done. And maybe he is, but there are a few times a year where we can take shots on players because we don't know where they stand after a long break. We can say we haven't seen it from day in a long time, so it can't possibly happen now. But I would disagree with that. He's been competitive on short courses. He has shown random flashes. That doesn't mean he turns back time and wins here in California. But my numbers I am running aren't prehistoric or completely prehistoric with it. Yes, a running year to your model is long, but I think everyone would agree he has been bad for almost – that whole period of time, for him to grade ninth overall in my model means something to me, especially when the top five guys in my model are the top five of the board. It's more than just funny banter this time around. I realize he'll probably miss the cut after all of this, but this is one of the best openings we've had on him in quite a long time. And I probably should have ended with that rant, but I also have a Justin Rose 55 to one ticket. As you as you could see there, I almost said Jason day again, all I want to do is talk about Jason day at this moment, but I know that that's your boy, Nick, I will assume um, from us talking that you have a ticket on him also so those are my four plays thought on the names I just mentioned and where are you looking this week.
0: No, I love the Justin Rose call. I guess in solidarity, I'll bet Jason Day with you at 130 to 1. Gooch, I was very interested in, but like you said, Proper was right about 30 to 1. Yeah. The best price in the market right now is 29 to 1. I'm just going to wait on Gooch. I Maybe I'll bet live if he struggles off you know, the first couple of holes, but I'm not betting Taylor Gooch in this field under 30 to 1. I had him right around 35 to 1. So if he is 40, 42 to 1, I think I'd, I'd really like that. But my outrights right now are Matt Wolf. Thirty-three to one on points bet. Will Zalatoris fifty to one on points bet. He's uh yeah. Um, Tony Finau twenty-two to one. I think if anybody can compete with John Rahm and Patrick Cantley, I think Rahm again is just probably by far the best golfer in the world. Clearly, he's world number one and just won two weeks ago. But I think Finau can can go you know back and forth with him at twenty-two to one. I really like that price on points bet. I did punch a ticket on Carlos Ortiz eighty to one on DraftKings. Um, Gary Woodland 100 to one on DraftKings. That was kind of my Jason Day play of the week. And then one I have not punched to be the last one for me. Patrick Reed 40 to one on points. But you have any read on Patrick Reed? Pun intended.
1: I, uh, I, my model never likes Reed. I don't really have anything to add to him. He's a but- dog
0: to Tringali in matchups. Does that, I, I know you like Tringali, but I don't, I like Patrick Reed a lot here.
1: I think it's I think they're very similar to one another. I think the one thing that you get with Tringali, at least when looking at matchups, is that he's a little bit safer. Reed's a little bit more all over the place with it. I think obviously Reed's going to have more upside. Like he makes a lot more sense to punch a ticket in the outright market than anything with it. But I, uh, you know, not only do I like your card, I think your card's very sound this week. I think it's a really good DraftKings uh, lineup that you can throw into too. I don't know what the pricing necessarily works out with that, but I think that's a bunch of guys that are very under the radar.
0: Yeah, I don't think I could fit Wolf, Zelatorus, Fino. And let's see. Oh, for the sake. Let's see if I could do it. Let's go. Wolf.
1: I've tried some weird things. Um, I
0: mean,
1: maybe you can't, though.
0: Fino, Yeah, those are three. Yeah, maybe. Let's see who could help me out. Ortiz. Uh, Ortiz is expensive. 8200.
1: That's probably what you can't have all four. You could probably have three of the four together.
0: Yeah. If so, who's going to Carlos Ortiz has to leave. And then I'm playing to really punk play guys, but we'll maybe we'll find some value in the six K range, but yeah, I uh, know I love starting my line. So Will wills and Matthew Wolf. And if I can get, you know, and that's great, but I do like that, uh, that lower nine K range that no one's going to play.
1: Yeah. If nothing else, I at least think you can sprinkle them into lineups and it may be not all together with it, but there are a bunch of guys worth considering that the market's not talking about, but uh, anything else you want to discuss before we wrap this up, Nick?
0: No, I just uh, now that I punched a ticket live on the air while you were talking about Jason Day at 131. I think that'd be uh, that'd be pretty cool.
1: My <laughs> my exposure on Jason Day this week, so um, you know, I, I did this with Corey Connors, and that's why I'm up as many units as I am is. And I've mentioned this on the show recently. I like to take guys at what I think their price should be. And I punched a ticket. So, you know, if I think a guy, you know, if a guy's a hundred to one and I think he should be 40 to one, I'll bet it to win eight units on it in a normal situation. So I'll take 0.20 units, make it like it's a 40 to one wager, but instead bet it at a hundred to one on that. That's essentially what I've done with Jason day this week. If Jason day hits, I will be up so much money on Jason day. I just assume I buy the PGA tour at that point, but uh, smart <laughs> of adding Jason day to the ticket. I probably don't have, Anything to talk about myself, the only thing I will throw out there, I'm going to be looking for head-to-head fades of the golfers like Duffner and Merritt, uh, but it's a small card for me. I don't anticipate a ton of in-tournament action either. I think it's one of those weeks where not much is showing as a value, unfortunately.
0: All right, let's get after it.
1: All right, Nick, let everybody know where they can find you, man.
0: It is at stickspicks, S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. And uh, TBD and the Hammer Kid. Are we gonna go woodland or are you like Carlos Ortiz? Let me know.
1: I texted you this off air. What if we Hammer Kid the Jason Day outright?
0: Oh no, that'll. Well, I guess we. Uh, no, can't do that. Then we will uh, have to buy multiple houses and stuff. And <laughs> there's too much. Like I don't want to pay that much taxes. Like there's just a lot of downside to us hammering that outright.
1: I'm going to be so rich after this tournament. <laughs> I, I tweeted this sports betting is going to be shut down for the rest of time. After I hit this Jason day ticket, it's going to be so worth the weight of it. But uh, to answer your question, I guess I like Gary Woodland more. There's probably more risks that comes behind it also. So I don't know. We'll, we'll discuss it. I'm sure if there is a hammer could play, you'll see it from us on Twitter. But uh, once again, thank you to everyone who tuned into this program. You can follow me on Twitter at T sports. You can find the two of us together at Better Golf Pod. We will be back next week to discuss one of my favorite tournaments of the year in the Farmers Insurance Open. But good luck this weekend at the American Express, and let's keep the momentum rolling.